So we are into our final input around the book of Jonah, and let's just remind ourselves of the story. On Thursday, we began in Jonah chapter 1, where the word of the Lord came to Jonah uh, and called him to the great uh, city of Nineveh, and he went in the absolute opposite direction. He boarded a boat. God sent a storm in to try and get Jonah to come to a point where he would embrace God's call, but Jonah really didn't want to do that. Uh, Jonah would rather die uh, than uh, obey the call of God. And so he got the sailors to say, hey, if you want the storm to stop, what you need to do is you need to throw me overboard and then the storm will calm down. And so Jonah begins to sink to the bottom of the uh, Mediterranean Ocean with the hard attitude of, I would rather die Uh, than obey God. And God, in His great mercy, provides a huge fish who swallows Jonah. And when Jonah is in the belly of that fish for three nights and three days, he wisely decides to get right with God. He wisely decides uh, to repent and to turn to God. And in that belly of the fish, he surrenders himself to God. And God amazingly answers Jonah's prayer and vomits him up on board, uh, on, onto the shore. Now, you think that would be enough, right? Given the fact that Jonah was rebellious and he ran away and he wasn't interested in God, you think that getting saved would be enough. But what we discover is that God doesn't just rescue us, but He commissions us. And we saw in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The God that we serve is the God of the second chance. And, and he calls him to the great city of Nineveh. Now, we're told in chapter 3 that to, to really see the city of Nineveh, you really required a three-day visit. But, 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 but Jonah doesn't do a three-day preaching tour. He just goes one day into the city. He doesn't get even into the center of the city. That would take a day and a half. He just goes one day into the city, and, and this was his message. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Thank you. Good night. And he leaves. And as Imbunisi showed us uh, last night, the Ninevites believe God. They believe God and they declare a fast from the least to the greatest. Even the king himself gets off his throne and gets into the dust and they begin to cry out to God. They, they, they say, we're going we're to turn from our wicked ways and we're going we, we're to give up our violence and our evil. And then in verse 9 of chapter 3, they say, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. They say, who knows? Maybe God might show us mercy. And friends, the crazy thing is they should have absolutely known, right? They shouldn't have been guessing that this was a group of non-Christians and they're like crying out to God and it's like, we're sorry, Lord, and forgive us and we're going to turn from our evil stuff and who knows, maybe God will show compassion on us. They should have known, but they didn't know. And why didn't they know? Because Jonah didn't tell them, right? Which is crazy when you think about what Jonah's own story was. Jonah was in rebellion and he was running away from God. And then God miraculously and wonderfully intervened in his life, sending a whale. I mean, it's one of the most famous stories in human history, right? Jonah and the whale. It becomes one of the great uh, rescue stories in human history. The dude who experienced one of the greatest rescue missions in human history doesn't think to add not just 40 more days and none of it will be destroyed, but 
God is a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And if you would turn to him and put your trust in him, God will relent and show mercy and grace. Because even me, a prophet of God, called by God, ran away and rebelled. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. But God in his great mercy saved and rescued me. But he didn't say that. He said nothing, but these guys cried out to God, and the wonderful thing is that God heard them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and, not, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, last night, when we were hearing about a whole city turning to, to Jesus and revival coming, wasn't it exciting, right? I had some guys chat to me this morning and say, wow, it was incredible hearing those stories about what happened in Wales. And whenever you hear a story about lots of people turning to God, it is super exciting, right? It is wonderful to hear stories of people turning to God, unless, of course, you are Jonah, uh, Darren, if we could just get the ladder here. Uh, because in chapter 4, our final chapter, you would think that Jonah would be rejoicing because the kingdom of God is advancing. But check out chapter 4 and verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall and uh, by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Do you get that? A whole city turns to God, and the prophet of God isn't happy, he's sad. He's really mad. He's very angry. He's very angry. He's so angry he could die. Sounds like your five-year-old sibling, right? I'm so angry he could die. I'm so mad. You make me so angry. And has that total huff. And he's really mad. And why is he mad? He's mad because God showed mercy and grace to the Ninevites, his enemy. Jonah hates the God of love. Jonah hates anybody other than himself receiving mercy. Mercy and grace is awesome if it gets poured out on his life. But if mercy and grace gets poured out on somebody else's life, that is really terrible. And if mercy and grace gets poured out on your enemy, it's the very worst thing in the world. It is so bad that you actually want to die. God, I'd rather die than see my enemies receiving mercy. Can I ask you this morning? Who's your enemy? Who's the person that you don't want sitting next to you? What is the people group that you would least like to receive mercy and grace? Maybe you were here this morning and you heard the guy like leading worship. Man, is that an Afrikaans accent? It's like, seriously? We've got a, there's, an off, there's a white Afrikaans male Leading us in worship. Ugh, what's going on? God, how could you show mercy? Who's the person you don't want to receive mercy? Who's the person you can't stand? Who's the group you can't stand? You want them judged. You want them rejected. You want them excluded. They don't deserve mercy. 
Well, Jonah knew who his group was. He knew it was the Assyrians. He knew it was the Ninevites. And he says to God, this is the very reason I ran away, because I know what you like. You are God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. You just can't help yourself. You keep on pouring out mercy and grace, and I hate it. Because, of course, we know that the Israelites are the people of God, and they're the only people who should receive mercy and grace, not this wicked, evil Assyrians. And, friends, if you do the historical study, these guys were brutal, brutal, brutal. These weren't just, like, people who didn't come to church enough. The Syrians were brutal. And God pours out his spirit and brings revival there. And Jonah cannot stand it. Jonah is so angry he could die. But the Lord replied, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Now, friends, just a little heads up here. When God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he knows that you don't know the answer. And he's asking you a question in order that you would grow in self-awareness. So he says to Jonah, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Friends, one of the ways that we can discern the controlling influences on our lives is to actually work out what our uncontrolled emotions are. You can actually take anger and use it to analyze the things that really mattered to you. If you can work out when you get really angry, it can show you what you're really living for. For some of you, the time that you get at your most angry is when your favorite sporting team loses. And that shows you what, you, what your hope is in. For others of you, you get really angry when you find out that people are speaking badly of you. Because the thing that you're really living for is a really good, a good opinion and being thought well of, being popular. For others of you, you get really angry when, when, uh, when, when you, you don't get the grades and the achievements that you want. Studying your anger, analyzing your anger will show you what is really controlling you. So God asked Jonah, is it right that you would be angry? But Jonah, like a, like a five-year-old, just stomps to his room and doesn't answer his parent. Because in verse 5, we're told that Jonah goes out and sat down at a place east of the city. And he made for himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what happened to the city. He leaves the city. He goes to the east side of the city and he gets some elevation because he wants to see what's going to happen. So he climbs up. God says, have you any right to be angry? And, uh, oh, this is a bit shaky. Yeah, better hold it, babes. <laughs> and he's parking off on the east side of the city. And uh, why is he doing this? God has shown mercy and grace to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, I'm as mad as hell. You've shown them mercy and grace. I'm so angry I could die. And then he goes and parks off on the east side of the city. Why? Because he wants God to repent. And he wants to get a view of the city so that when the city is nuked, when God sends the judgment, he can actually see it. He's not just, he, it's not just that he wants to see the Assyrians. It's not just that he wants judgment to come on the Assyrians. He wants to see it. He wants to smell smoldering Ninevites. And so he is sitting. He is, this is God's prophet. He is sitting. This is radical, isn't it? This is the guy that was saved and rescued by God. The most famous rescue act. And he is wanting the city to be nuked. 
And he's sitting there waiting to see what will happen to the city. He's hoping that God will repent and change his mind. Verse 6, then God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So Jonah is sitting on the east side of the city looking for the city to be destroyed and God supernaturally provides his plant to grow, to provide a bit of aircon, and he's super happy. He's totally acting like a toddler. Yeah? I'm so angry I could die. I'm very happy. In a moment, it like happens so quickly. He goes from being very angry to being very happy. Shade for his head to ease his discomfort. He was very happy about the plant. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. God provides a supernatural plant. Then he provides the worm to eat the plant to stop the air con. And guess what happened next? When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The berg wind rocks up. The sun blazes on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said it would be better for me to die than to live. He's very angry, and then he's very happy, and then he's very angry again. God provides a plant, aircon. God provides the worm. The worm eats the plant. The aircon stops working. He sees that the city is a nuked, and he's as mad as anything. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, hey, man, God's really super unkind, right? God's messing with him, the plant for the aircon, then the worm to stop the aircon, it's super unkind. I just want to say to you, this is incredibly kind of God. Because like if I was God, I wouldn't have sent a worm, right? I would have sent a herd of elephants, eh? or, or, or I would have sent one hungry lion to get this dude. But God sends a worm to eat the plant. And God engages Jonah again in verse 9 and says, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he replies, It is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 10, the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals, so many animals. Friends, how is it possible that Jonah, the person who was called by God, the person who was rescued by God, the person who was recommissioned by God, could be so out of touch with God. Friends, this book ends with a warning, and the warning is this. It is possible to be called by God. It is possible to be miraculously rescued by God. It is possible to have a genuine encounter with God and still live a life that is out of sync with the very heart of God. What we discover here is that Jonah didn't allow the gospel to sink deeply into his heart to help him embrace the very mission of God. What does Jonah say in the boat? What was the God that he served? The God of heaven and earth. And if God is the God of heaven and earth, 
then if you follow God, you need to love all the people of planet Earth, not just the people that think exactly the same as you and hold the same opinions that you do. But Jonah couldn't do that. Jonah's love only extended to people that were just like him. He couldn't understand that God was the God of the nations, that God was the God of people from every tribe and language and nation and people group. And God is on an incredible rescue mission, not just to save Jonah and not just to save the Israelites, but to save people from every tribe and language and nation and people. And so I want to ask you this morning, is your heart big enough to embrace the mission of God? Is your heart big enough to embrace the mission of God? Because friends, what I discover in my own life is that what needed to happen is that when Jesus saved and rescued me, I was like this. My arms were only big enough to embrace myself. And the gospel needed to come and it needed to like... And on summer camp 1990, he managed to pull my arm so that I had had enough room to embrace Jesus. And then over the last 30 years, what he's been doing is like, come on, Steve, not just Jesus. Other Christians right next to you. Okay. Come on, Stephen. Other Cape Jonians. No, I only want people like, oh. Come on, Stephen, get me and get the gospel and, South Africans. And then it keeps on going. And then it's like, Stephen, I'm calling you to speak to a church in Australia. And it's like, no ways, God. You're not going to, oh no, that's too painful. You can't, no, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> and friends, I'm not here yet, right? I'm not here yet. I'm like, maybe here. And for the rest of my life, Jesus is going to pull my arms back until it's big enough to embrace everybody. That God wants to reach everybody. It's not that everybody's already saved. That's the whole point. He's calling us to preach the gospel to them. But friends, what's your embrace like? For some of you, like maybe you're still here. Man, I'm not going to embrace Jesus. I've been here today four. I'm going to get through the session. Just can't wait. Maybe there'll be one more appeal I can just resist and then I can go home and never deal with this again. Maybe you're there. Or maybe you're like, I've just done Jesus. I love Jesus. The rest of these people are complete clowns. I'm not going to go anywhere near them. I'm glad they introduced me to Jesus, but they are crazy. And that's as far as you're going. That's as far as you're going. Jesus and me. Jesus and me. Jesus and me. Friends, Jonah the prophet, how you doing? How you doing? You know you've got a Jonah problem if you think like, hey man, I don't really, I don't need to go to church. Don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. That's like a coach calling the team together and saying, hey guys, just remember, you don't have to win. You don't have to win. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? You're the coach. It's your job to get us to win. It's like, hey, great insight here. You don't need to go to church, you know? You're like a Christian and you don't need to win. What's going on? 
Well, you're just doing this, Jesus and you. And part of Christian maturity is embracing more than yourself. And friends, what we learn from the book of Jonah is a warning. We're all a work in progress. And change takes time. And we thank God for this camp. And we thank God for the people who have been rescued. We thank God for the people who have been filled with the Spirit. We thank God for the people that have been commissioned. But if you are going to reach spiritual maturity, it's going to take more than you. It's going to take God. It's going to take a community. It's going to take people with a diversity of gifts in order to bring you into maturity. It is absolutely critical. So firstly, we see a warning. Secondly, we see a God of extraordinary grace. A God of extraordinary grace. Because guess what? God still works with a person who says, I'm so angry, I hate you, the God of love. I hate the fact that you have poured out your mercy on Nineveh. Like if this was us, right? If you think of all the nonsense Jonah has been doing from chapter 1, and then finally the world, you think, oh great, he's turned over a new leaf and it's all going to be awesome. And he gets commissioned into Nineveh. And as Imbunisi told us, like the worst prophet giving the worst message, five words in Hebrew, really, that's it. You're going to be destroyed. Thank you, good night. God pulls out his spirit and he's like, I'm so angry that you've shown mercy. At this point, you and I would write Jonah off, right? First strike, second strike, you're out. But God continues to work with Jonah. God causes the plant to grow. God sends the worm. God sends the berg wind. God continues to engage with a functional racist, actually, in order to bring them to a point of maturity. Friends, we live in a culture and a generation where canceling people, writing them off, rejecting them, having nothing to do with them, just closing your ears to them is seen as being super cool and super righteous. But it is completely out of sync with God. Remember why Jonah got upset with God? Because he really knew what God was like. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Do you know that God's like that? Can I ask you, are you like that? Are you gracious? And you think, well, of course I'm gracious. All, all people who think like me know that I'm super gracious. No, no, no. The way to work out whether you're gracious is, how do your enemies feel that you relate to them? Are you gracious? Are you compassionate? Are you slow to anger? It's very popular to be angry these days. I don't know. Anger's got like a really big rebound at the moment. And it's meant to be a sign of real godliness. Apparently, if you're really godly, you get angry about lots of things. But actually, God is slow to anger. God doesn't fall off his lid. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So he's giving you a 24-hour window. And then he's saying... Okay, now you need to put that anger to bed. Are you abounding in love? Is that what you're like? Or do you find it easy to reject people and to turn them away? And then the penultimate thing that we see in this chapter is 
that we get to see what the, the real theme of this book is. Because it's possible to read Jonah and think, yeah, we know what it's about. It's Jonah and the whale, right? That's what it's about. But friends, I want to suggest to you that what the big theme of the book of Jonah is about is a great God's great concern for the great city of Nineveh. Let's think about this. The start of the book, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, chapter 1. Beginning of chapter 3, which is the key turning point of the book, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. The book ends with, should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh? The great theme of the book of Jonah is not about the whale. It is about a great God's great concern for the great city of Nineveh. And friends, this is ridiculous. This is the arch enemy. This is like God coming and speaking to us prophetically. I've got a great concern for Mecca. Who will go to Mecca for me? A great God's great concern for the great city of Mecca. It, it, it was like an anathema to the Jewish people at the time. And friends, what we discover is God has got an incredible passion and love for the towns and the cities that we are from. God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And he says, of course I've got a right to be angry about the plant. I'm so angry I could die. And God's going like, really? You're angry about the plant, although you did not tend and care for it. Should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh? What's the inference? You didn't tend and care for that plant. I did. Though you deeply concerned about it because it affected your comfort idol. Should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh inference that I tended and cared for? This is God saying to us this morning, should I not be concerned about the great city of Mecca that I have tended and cared for? And friends, if God has tended and cared for Nineveh, the wicked, violent city of Nineveh, the anti-God city of Nineveh, God cares about the great city of Stellenbosch and the great city of Somerset West and the great city of the West Coast and the great city of Cape Town. He cares about your city. This was 120,000 people. We live in a greater Cape Town area of over 4 million people. Ditto Nairobi. God cares about our city. And God wants to send you and me back into the city not to survive the city, but to proclaim his message of mercy and grace to the city so that he can show his extraordinary love to people that are far from him. The God that we serve is a God that is slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who loves to show mercy and grace. And he wants you and I to Return to our abodes with a message of mercy and grace that God is alive and He's the God of the heavens and the earth. And He's calling everybody in. Everybody's invited. Everybody gets to experience mercy and grace. It's not just you. There's not something special about you and your family and your tribe is the reason why you've received mercy and grace. The reason why you've received mercy and grace is because the God that we serve is a God of mercy and grace and how can we proclaim this message we can proclaim this message because there is one greater than Jonah one who didn't run away from the call of God but perfectly obeyed his father one 
that didn't escape death by being miraculously saved, but was crucified and died in order to save others. One who wasn't given over to racism and cultural narrowness, but one who died on the cross to win a people from every tribe and language and nation and people. And he wants to call you to join him on reaching the great cities and towns that we're from. Let's stand together.